Today's scripture reading is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith, faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Ellie. Please pray with me. Father, even just hearing those words again, God, I, just, I long for them to be true in my own life. I long to be able to look at the things that I so quickly run to to tell me that I'm okay, I'm a good person, I've got my stuff together. God, I, I long to be able to look at them and say, compared to Jesus, they are nothing. Knowing, God, that that is where joy is found, in you alone. And so help us today, help us as we hear these words, as we enter into this place and this story, I pray that you would convict us, encourage us, and give us joy in your presence. In Christ's name, amen. Is it just me, or are there a lot of grumpy Christians out there? Any, any, uh, any grumpy Christians in the house? Um, yeah, don't, don't raise your hand, please. It's embarrassing. I know, I know. We, we all have, we can do it, but like, don't do it. Like Christian and, and uh, grumpy, like those should be oxymorons, right? Or let me, let me ask it another way. Christians are known for a lot of things in our culture. Are we known for joy? In fact, if I were to say to you, uh, imagine a religious person or I say she, she's so religious. Like, what would you picture in your mind? Is that person smiling? Or, or do you picture somebody more like uh, Dana Carvey, the church lady, uh, that's angry and scowling, right? Like, there's, there's a reason this caricature exists, right? Could it be Satan? Some of, some of you. Some of you. Come on. Come on. That's good. That's good, people. No, it's because like joylessness and religiosity so often go together. And we know this, don't we? Like the moment we begin to look at who we are and what we've done, begin to, to check off and decide for ourselves, I'm one of the good ones. It makes us absolutely miserable and kills all of our joy. And yet we do it all the time. And it's not, just, it's not just religion, it's not just Christians. Whenever we try to prove to ourselves, I'm good enough, like my life is decent enough, 
I know enough, I'm right enough. Anytime we try to look at ourselves to answer those questions, we get ourselves into deep trouble, don't we? And we all, and we all do this. Again, whether, whether it's your resume or your Facebook page, we all want to prove to ourselves and to those around us that I'm okay. I'm one of the good ones, right? And you can use religion to do that, but you can also use your education, your income, how hard you work, who you voted for, how you feel about certain issues, how fun your life is. See, I'm one of the good ones. And, and so a, a religious person might say, I keep all the rules and I believe all the right things so that I, so I, know, I know my life is good. But meanwhile, a non-religious person could say, I don't believe any of those things and I break all of those rules and so I know my life is good. And both can be just as grumpy just as miserable, and just as lost. And if I were to make a list of all of the things the Apostle Paul hates the most, I'm pretty convinced, given all of his letters in the New Testament, that this would be one of the top, right? This, this smug sense of self-confidence this personal sense of self-righteousness where I can look at who I am, I can look at what I've done, and I can say, I'm one of the good ones. He has zero tolerance for that because he knows it will rob our joy and quite possibly destroy our soul. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Now, if, you, if you've been with us in this series, maybe as we heard these words read, it may have caught you off guard a little bit, because like this letter up to this point has been so joyful, it's been so encouraging, and all of a sudden, like, man, Paul's mad. Like, he seems really upset. Like, what happened, right? What would make him so upset? I mean, he starts off fine, I guess. Look at verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Like, once again, like, Paul is after their joy, Right? Rejoice in the Lord. He's like, if I have to tell you this a thousand times, I'll keep telling you. Like, this, this is a central part of what it means to follow Jesus, is to rejoice, to find your joy in him. But if you're going to do this, you have to, verse 2, you have to look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Whew, okay, so what is he talking about there? Okay, this is another one of those spots. We've got to go back into the context. We only have one side of the conversation. This is a letter, right? And so we've got to piece together what is happening that would make Paul say such, such harsh words. Well, you've got to imagine this church in Philippi receiving this, okay? And so they, they are a mostly Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish church, right? But, the, but they know, they know that Jesus was Jewish, Paul was Jewish, most of the first Christians were Jewish, and they're not Jewish. But Paul told them when he got there, he said, it's okay. Like, you don't have to be Jewish. Like, Jesus is for you. He died and rose again for you, and we can be welcomed together into the same family of God simply through faith. It's all that it takes. And they said yes to Jesus. That was a message worth giving their lives to. But somehow along the way, probably in Paul's absence, these other folks came to them and basically said, like, hey, you know what? Paul was, he was close, right? 
yeah, Jesus died for you, and like you're so close to being able to be in, right, with, with Jesus. But we're not quite family yet. There's one thing lacking. You see, you're just not quite Jewish enough. And so we brought our friend here. He's got a little knife. He's been sharpening it. It's nice and sharp. And all you have to do, like, this is it. He's like, you can imagine the conversation. Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Let me just talk you through it. You just have to let him cut off part of your, you know, right? Like, imagine, imagine that conversation. Like, Paul said there was nothing. He said Jesus was enough. And all of a sudden, they said, actually, not quite yet. If you do that, you do that one more thing, then you can be, like us, one of the good ones. And Paul says, no, that is not how it works. Like Jesus is, he's either enough or he's nothing, right? He's, he is all or nothing for those who know him and follow him. He's like, don't listen, don't listen to these dogs. Sounds pretty harsh, like, geez, man, Paul, take it down a notch. But that's, that's often what Jewish people would call Gentiles in, that, in the first century, and so he's kind of playing on their words. He's saying, actually, guys, you're the, you're the Gentiles in this situation. You are the ones who are outside of faith. You are the ones who have made this barrier between us and Jesus. And any time you add anything to Jesus, you lose both. He's saying we who are with Jesus through faith alone, we are God's people. And that if you, if you look at your life, Look at what I've done. Look who I am. My lack of foreskin. If you look at anything and conclude, I must be one of the good ones. Paul is saying, you are dead already. You have rejected Christ and you are far from him. And the word, the word that Paul uses here is an interesting one. It's, it's actually a military term. It's probably different based on the translation you have, so you may or may not have exactly. But it's, it's a, the English word is often translated as, the Greek word is often translated in English as boast. Here in the ESV, which is what I'm using, it's translated as glory in. Uh, but every other place in the New Testament, it's either translated as boast in or rejoice in, right? Joy and boast, like these things go, go together here. And so I, I kind of, I'm drawn to the word boast, and the word boast is a, is a, was a military term in the first century. And, and so how would a, a king or a commander convince people to like enter a, a season of deep hardship, risking their lives to go to war? I mean, think about that. Like, how do, you, how do you convince people to go to war for you? You boast. You give them confidence, right? You say, we can do this. We're stronger. We're better. We're the good ones. We can go and defeat these folks. Your boast is where you find your confidence. It's what, it's what gives you your, your strength, right? It's what you boast in. And so Paul is saying, you can, you can boast in your flesh. You can do that. You can find your confidence in how good you think you are. Or you can boast in Jesus. Those, those are the options. That's it. You can, you can try to be good enough on your own or you can let Jesus be good enough for you. Church, you decide. And then I love kind of what Paul does next because he's like, and actually while we're on this idea of boasting, if you want to play the boasting game, like I will crush you, right? Because what Paul's saying is like, if, if you want to boast, like if you want to look at your, your accolades, your resume, your Facebook page to tell you that you're good enough, like step back, right? Because Paul has all of it, Right? 
mean, he says an unbelievable resume. And, and I think he, he points to this stuff because he knows how tempting it is. He knows the things that we tend to point to. He knows how often you and I run to these other things to tell us that we're okay, that we're one of the good ones. And we all do it. We boast in the wrong things. That's the first thing I want us to take from this, right? You can't miss that from what Paul is saying here. We boast in the wrong things, empty things. And Paul, Paul wants us to see it. And he wants us to see how deadly it is. So look at, look at verse 4. He's like, don't, don't boast, right? He's like, though, like, again, if you want to, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's like, guys, I've done all of it. I've done all the good things, all the important things, all the things that our culture says make me better than anyone else. I've done them, Paul says. It's an impressive resume. And I want to I dig in here a little bit because our list is different. We have a list. You have a list. I have a list, right? We do. Let's be honest. Like you probably maybe don't know what, exactly what it is, but you have one. We have these things that we point to. And I think there's, even though ours is different than Paul's, I think there are four similarities here between Paul's list and our lists. Okay, four, four things in particular that we also boast about. So first of all, like Paul, we can boast that I belong to the right people. And so he begins with the stuff that is just natural because of his birth, right? And then he goes to the things that he's accomplished, right? He's like, I belong to the right people, Paul's, Paul's saying. He's like, not even like a Hebrew of Hebrews, like of the tribe of Benjamin. Like I am, I am in the in group if there ever was one. You know, and I can so easily say, I'm an American, I'm white, I'm male, right? I'm a miller. Millers are pretty great, right? I vote a certain way. I belong to certain groups. I'm one of the good ones. Or I could say, I believe the right things. I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at with the Hebrew of Hebrews things. It's like, it's like I don't, I'm not just culturally Jewish. Like, I, ha, I had it down, right? Uh, we could say, I believe the right things. I believe the right things about justice, Morality, theology, politics. I believe the right things about uh, masks and vaccines, right? I believe, I believe the right things about parenting and history and the way the, the world works. And so I'm one of the good ones. I also behave the right way. Kind of the Pharisee thing, right? He's, he's like the law keeper of law keepers, right? I believe the right things. I don't just do the right things, people. Or I don't just believe the right things. I do the right things. It's like, look at my life. This is not what Paul's saying. This is what I'd say. Look at my life, but not too closely, right? I'm a nice guy, as far as you know, right? No, no glaring faults. I, I give, I, I serve. I follow the rules when people are looking, right? I'm one of the good ones. And then the fourth thing, I, I think he's, he's, I built the right life. Like these are, the second half of the list is all stuff that he's accomplished through decades of hard work. We do that. Man, we do that so often in our culture. I have built the right life, so I must be okay. I've got a master's degree at the top of my career. I've got awesome kids and a beautiful wife, right? Smart, funny, successful, good-looking. I, I own nice things. Like, any, like, you have your list, right? We do this with one another because I've built the right life. I'm one of the good ones. And Paul is saying that if you let any of those things tell you who you are, tell you that you're good enough, you're okay, if you put even a little bit of confidence or hope 
there, even in good things. Like, these aren't bad things, but if that is your boast, you will never have joy. You will never have joy. Boasting in empty things and the wrong things will never lead to joy. That's the second thing. Boasting in the wrong things will never lead to joy. Remember, Paul starts this passage after their joy. He's pursuing their joy. Rejoice in the Lord. He's pleading them with them. But you can't rejoice in the Lord if you're also rejoicing in or boasting in these other things. This week, uh, in the New York Times, uh, I saw this, this headline. It just grabbed my attention. Uh, who gets to be beautiful now? Anyone who believes themselves to be so. On the one hand, I read that. I was like, man, that sounds great. Like, that's, that's I mean, there's, there's a lot that's right about statements and ideas like that. But my immediate next thought was like, well, it's pretty hard to believe that. About, I mean, because I know myself, right? I've looked in the mirror, right? And I've looked deeper. And so it's, it's, it sort of almost feels like this, this joke, right? All, all I have to do to be beautiful is believe that I am. Does anyone actually believe that they're beautiful all the time? I don't think so. We're fragile, aren't we? We're, we're insecure. And frankly, sometimes we're not very beautiful. It, just, it sounds nice. But now all of the pressure is on you. I think that's why I felt so defeated when I read it. It's like, it's now my responsibility. If I'm not beautiful, it's because I don't believe enough that I am, right? And so you decide if you're beautiful. You decide if you're funny. You decide if you're a good person. It feels like freedom. I can boast in whatever I want. But the pressure is literally killing us. You and I cannot muster up enough inner strength to convince us of any of these things about ourselves. To believe that we're beautiful. What we need is someone outside of us. What we need is the God who made us to say that we're beautiful. And the same, the same is true anytime we boast in empty things, religious or otherwise. That's, that's essentially what we're doing. Like all the pressure is now on you to prove that you're okay, that your life is good enough, that you've accomplished enough, that you've made enough, that your kids are good enough. Like all of this, it all goes back on you when we live like this. A life of proving is a life of misery. We know it. And I, think, I think there are only four options for us when we boast in empty things. Four, four options. Let me mention them quickly for us. This is what happens like when we, when we put our hope, our rest in these other things. First of all, option number one is you'll be smug. You'll just, you'll just be a train, like, because you actually believe that I am good enough. Like, you'll say that about yourself. And then you'll be judgmental and self-righteous. You'll be angry and proud. Like, you will crush others under the weight of your own expectations you spend your life virtue signaling and looking down on anyone who dis- disagrees with you. I think this is essentially what's happening with the church in Philippi, right? These, these Judaizers, these people have come in and they, with their smug self-righteousness, like, well, if you really want to know that you're okay, right? And this is a real problem today. I mean, this is why religious people are sometimes so miserable. And yet, in our culture, judgmentalism is everywhere, I, 
at all-time highs, right? We can't wait to point out the next failure. We just, we just like frothing out the mouth, just wait, just, we can't wait. Like, who do we get to cancel next, right? It's because we boast in the wrong things. We actually believe we're good enough. That's, that's the first option. Option number two is the opposite. It's despairing. It's, it's the more honest version. It's saying, I'll never be enough, right? You look at yourself and you're like, you, you just know, like, if you boast in the wrong things, like, there's always going to be somebody prettier, smarter, more successful than you, better, better at your job. There's always going to be something more, and we can't bear the weight of our own expectations. I think this is probably what the Gentiles and, and Philippi were feeling the most. Like, they just felt crushed. Like, oh, man, do we really have to do this? Option, option number three is to be enslaved. It's where, it's where we end up saying, well, I, I can't ever stop trying to be enough. I've got to keep, I gotta keep doing it, right? I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to go to despair, but I've got to have the best career, the perfect body, right? The, the ideal family, the most fun. And you'll be a slave to your expectations and the expectations of others. And then option number four is aimless. And so we just say, I, I, don't, I don't know how to be. I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to be enough. And I think, I think in some ways, this is, this is what we've done with our kids, right? Like we've, we've said to them, you can, you can be anything you want. Anything. Follow your heart. No boundaries. In fact, you decide what good is, and then you go out and pursue that. Go figure out the best life. It's all on you, right? And then we're surprised when they just wander aimlessly. Where do you even begin when every option is equally wonderful, right? It's because we boast in the wrong things. If we put our confidence in the flesh, right? If we put our confidence in ourselves, we will never have joy. You'll be smug or despairing or enslaved or aimless, but you will not have joy. For Paul, there's only one boast that fills us with joy. Only one boast that fills us with joy. If you want to boast, and we all do, we're all going to do this, right? You're all going to find something. We're all going to find something to say, I'm okay, I'm good enough. If you want to boast, boast in this, Jesus. That's it. Like, full stop, we get in the sermon right there, right? That's, for Paul, that is it. That's the only boast we have. Nothing else will satisfy. Everything else will lead you down these other paths of personal agony and destruction. Never enough. But boasting in Jesus. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. It's like, I, I could boast in all this stuff, Paul's saying, right? And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him, in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Like Paul, Paul is saying there, like in, in comparison to Jesus, in comparison to the joy of having him say, you are good, you are beautiful, you are loved, you are precious to me. And compared to that, everything else, Paul says, is just utter trash. It's just garbage, it's rubbish, it's worthless. 
And so if you want to boast, boast in this, Jesus found me. Because that's, that's Paul's story. Like Paul is speaking out of his own experience here. He had everything possible for his resume. Everyone was impressed with Paul. Everybody, right? He, he, was, he had all of the accomplishments, all of the personal behavior. He had it all figured out. And he knew it, right? So much so that he was like a nightmare for other people. Like he was persecuting, persecuting Christians because he was so convinced he was right. But then Jesus found him on the road to Damascus and turned his entire world upside down. And he saw, like, compared to Jesus, compared to what he offers, compared to his goodness and love, everything else is rubbish because God found him. And you don't, you don't become a Christian by finding God. You become a Christian when God finds you. You don't become a Christian by being good enough, by going to church, by, by crossing off enough, enough items on the checklist. Like none, none of that. No, it's, it's, it's by him declaring you, by through faith, him saying, no, you are good. You are beautiful. Not because you are, but because I made you and I will remake you into something good and beautiful. Which means if that's, if that's true, like if that's the entry path, then you can't be smug. Do you see how ridiculous that is to say, well, I'm just, I'm so great, right? No, you, you were found. Like, Jesus found you. You're not one of the good ones. He is for you. And so you can't, you can't judge, you can't brag, you didn't earn any of this. All you can do is rejoice. It prevents us from despair because Jesus was glad to do it. He loved you enough to pursue you and do this for you. And he will never walk out on you. He prevents us from, from being enslaved. He frees us from the expectations of others and the expectations of ourselves. And it prevents us from aimlessness. Like if you're wondering what your life is for, it's this. It's not, it's not pleasure. It's not personal satisfaction. It's not finding your passion or following your heart. Your purpose is Jesus. Knowing him and being found in him. I mean, have you, have you ever really been lost? I mean, like, really, like, terrifyingly lost. Well, I, I Googled, uh, you can always find stories, because people are getting lost all the time. I don't know if you know that. It's pretty common. Um, and so I, I just looked. I just, in the news, uh, broadly across our country, who got lost this week? I came across two stories in particular. One about uh, a family, a wife, and two kids in Pennsylvania. They were out uh, on a, a small little hike, just not even that big of a deal, but their, their phones died, they lost their connection, and they had to spend the night outside all by themselves in the cold. And then, and then I also read about this, this guy, 71-year-old in, in Oregon, who was actually lost for two days out on a hike. And they actually found him only a half a mile from the trail. Again, I don't, I don't know their stories, I don't know their experiences, but I'm pretty confident None of them, when they were found, were like, man, I'm so good at being found. Like, they had nothing to be proud of in that moment, right? They're not bragging, they're not boasting, but they are rejoicing, right? I mean, think about, like, the, the delight of knowing, like, it's okay, I've been found. They rejoice. And Paul says, like, all of this is that, he says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Church, this this is our joy. 
Boast in Jesus. Don't stop boasting in all those other things, right? Stop looking to them to tell you you're okay. They'll never, they'll never do it. They'll never be enough. Boast in Jesus. And if you don't know how to do that, let me offer three quick next steps, real fast. Three things that we can do on this path. First of all, you got to discern what it is you boast in and learn to consider it rubbish. That's the first thing. Like, you just got to do some self-inventory. Like, when you're depressed, angry, overwhelmed, ashamed, like, those are, the, those are the places often where you begin to realize what it is you're putting your hope in, right? So in those, in those moments, what am, I, what am I looking to? In my resume, on my Facebook page, like, consider the things that you run to to tell you that you're good. It could be your family, income, politics, your beliefs on important issues. I mean, these are good things, Right? They just don't compare to Jesus. And they will never be enough to satisfy you. And so figure out what it is you boast in. Compare them to Jesus. And then give them their proper name. Rubbish. Strong words, isn't it? My house. Rubbish. My education. Rubbish. My good works, rubbish. Whether or not people think I'm a good pastor or a good preacher is rubbish. My political views, my, my stance on issues, my reputation, rubbish. Instead, Jesus, which is, which is the second thing. So once you've done some of that interior work, stop hiding behind those boasts and let Jesus find you. Stop, stop insulating yourself. We do that, right? We hide behind these things because we're so fragile, we're so insecure. There's so much shame that runs rampant in our hearts. Stop hiding and let Jesus find you. What are you trying to prove? Let him find you. God, just say, God, here I am. I confess my empty boasts. I put my faith in you. Would you come find me? Rescue me and give me your joy. And then third, they get to know Jesus, especially through suffering. That's, that's the hard part there, but let's, let's talk about the first. Like, get to know him. Like, if you're going to let him tell you who you are, you have to do that every day because we forget. We run so fast to these other things. You've got to daily remind, let him remind you who you are in him. And so, like, reading your Bible, praying, going to church, maybe it's, like, joining in, like, a pathway like the form.life that we've been doing together as a church, these kinds of places to remind us, to get to know him. But through suffering, some of you are like, nah, I'm good. And th- this is what's so hard in this passage, but I think, I think it's connected. Like, Paul, look, look what he says, right? Kind of the climax of this passage, he says that I may know him. Yes, sign me up. I want to know him. And uh, let's see, and the power of his resurrection. Ooh, I like that. Like, who wouldn't want some of that power, right? But then what does he say? And may share his sufferings. Think about that. Paul's like, let me share in your sufferings, Jesus. Why does he do that? I I don't exactly know, but I can't help but wonder if it's because one of the things that breaks down the walls that we build of our boasts is suffering. Like when you, when you feel wounded and beat down, you begin to look around and you're like, man, what, what am I trusting in? And I think this past year has it's been hard for many of us, right? And I think one of the reasons is because COVID has toppled a lot of our idols. 
right? The things that we were trusting in and boasting in, the things that we thought would keep us safe and give us control and make us happy. And it's been brutal. But we still have this. Jesus. And he is the only boast. The only thing that we can put our hope in and trust in. The only thing that we can let say, you are good, you are beautiful, you are loved. And when we boast in him, there's great joy. Let's pray. Father, would you do this work? Would you expose the idols in our hearts and our lives? Show us where we run. And fill us with you instead. God, I pray that we would once again, whether, whether we've been following Jesus for a really long time or maybe we're sitting here not a follower of Jesus, but curious about these things, God, I pray that you would show us by your spirit where joy is found and that you would welcome us in once again to your great family. And even as we come to your table, would you meet with us in this, this reminder as we get a taste of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. In Jesus' name. Amen.